Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Solomon Ashoms in Johannesburg, South Africa, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we talk about African players in Germany, with Gabon's Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang having moved from Borussia Dortmund to Arsenal, and with Guinea's Naby Keita leaving RB Leipzig at the end of the season to join Liverpool. The African representation in the German Bundesliga is very low. We find out why. So it just shows that the youth development, we're trying very, very hard and with a very, very good structure to develop our own players. And unfortunately, that means that we don't have to take lots of young players anymore from Africa or from Brazil. Also, Arsene Wenger's woes continue in England. And with the UEFA Champions League round of 16 at the halfway stage, Stuart gives his analysis. I think the surprising thing is that probably three ties are already over. You know, Liverpool went to Porto and won 5-0 in Portugal. Well, that's coming later, but let's start with the CAF Super Cup, where Champions League winners Widad Casablanca of Morocco beat Confederation Cup winners TP Mazembe of the DRC 1-0 in Casablanca last weekend. The goal came late from a free kick, and it was a historic game as the video assistant referee system was used for the first time in Africa. The Zambian referee Jani Sikazwe used the video assistant referee after initially awarding a penalty to Widad, only to change his mind after watching replays of the incident and deciding that a player dived. Well, that's an impressive result, isn't it, Solomon, for Widad Casablanca to beat the Giants' TP Mazembe to add to their Champions League title, and with Morocco having won the CHAN, the African Nations Championship, last month. Steve, uh, watching that game, it was uh, definitely a good game of football for me uh, to watch just how much balance the team played and how technically gifted the players are and they're also the style of play. But congratulations to Wadai Casablanca for winning the CAF uh, Super Cup. And against a very strong TP Mazambe side who has won the CAF Champions League five times. They've also won the CAF Super Cup uh, three times. It was a great game of football and it was also good to see how and why Morocco actually won the CHAN and also to see why Morocco is going to the World Cup in Russia. And I believe, Steve, if you have a strong league, if you have a league that is well-organized and uh, well-supported like the Moroccan League, they've been consistent over the years. And I think Morocco is definitely, for the next five years, we're going to see Morocco, a club from Morocco, a permanent fixture. And also when it comes to the AFCON and also Chan, we're definitely going to see Morocco there always in the top five uh, because the league is doing well. So congratulations to them against uh, TP Mozambique, which for me, this is uh, the best best Africa football club in the last 20 years. Yes, a really good performance from Widad Casablanca to beat TP Mazembe. We'll indeed look out for Morocco in continental competitions over the next few years. Thanks, Solomon. Well, now we go to African players in Germany, with Gabon's Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang moving from Borussia Dortmund to Arsenal and with Guinea's Naby Keita leaving RB Leipzig at the end of the season to go to Liverpool. The African representation in the Bundesliga is very low. Going back in time, Ghana striker Tony Yeboah was at Eintracht Frankfurt in the 90s, the same time that Nigeria legend JJ Okocha was there. 
There was Ghana defender Sami Kufour at Bayern Munich, playing for 12 seasons from 1993 onwards. Well, right now, Nigeria's Victor Osimen is at Wolfsburg. His compatriot Leo Balogun is at Mainz, although Balogun grew up in Germany anyway. The Gambia's Usman Mani is playing for the reserves at Werder Bremen, while Bakary Jatta is getting some game time with Hamburg. But not many Africans featuring there in Germany, and it looks like it's going to be increasingly harder for African players to make it in Germany. In this interview from our archive from the end of 2016, Oloashina Okaleji spoke to Lutz Fannerstiel. He's the director of international relations and scouting at German club Hoffenheim. He played as a goalkeeper on all six continents and coached in Namibia. At Hoffenheim, Fannerstiel has scouted African players such as Nigeria's Chinedu Obasi, Senegal's Demba Ba, Zimbabwe's Knowledge Musona, and the Ghanaian Isaac Vorsa. Oluwashina first asked Fannerstiel what exactly European scouts are looking out for in African players. Well, you know, the, in the past, obviously, uh, African players uh, were always had big impacts in, in, in Europe, not just in, in Germany, but also in England, in Austria, in Belgium, in France, anyway. Uh, so that that there is unbelievable talent. Looking at the at the past world-class players Africa uh, produced, uh, it's just normal that this is one of the continents where I would call it the raw talent, the raw diamonds are are basically uh, still around, uh, especially in, in in West Africa. And so I think uh, it is it's a duty for every uh, club in Europe to to uh, at least have a look. What exactly, what possibilities, what talents, what uh, options are at the moment at certain age groups in, in, in Africa. And that's why I think uh, not just me, many other clubs are basically keeping the tracks on, on African players and, and at least getting an overview what at the moment is on the market. And talking often, um, we recall some notable African names that have gone through that club. Dembaba, for instance, Chinedu Obasi, and of course, Knowledge Musona. Tell me, what sort of uh, memories do Germans have about these three players? Hey, you forgot also Isaac Forza. Oh, uh, true, yeah. The Ghanaian. <laughs> the Ghanaian one. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, Isaac uh, and uh, Demba Ba, as well as uh, Obasi, they had, were part of the, the, you know, the, the Hoffenheim team, uh, which came up from the second league and then uh, had a brilliant start into the season. So they're all very, very well remembered. Looking at Demba Ba, I mean, after he left Hoffenheim, he, he made a big career in England and in, in Besiktas and wherever he went, he was always a pure danger man. Uh, Obasi went to, went to Schalke, uh, did okay uh, with Isaac Fossa. He went on to, to play in Austria. With Muzona, uh, well, he came from, from Kaiser Chiefs to us and, uh, you know, was a very, very young boy. Unfortunately, through the circumstances, he didn't really get the big breakthrough and we sold him to Ostende in Belgium and now we see with a very... Uh, yeah, we're very, very happy for him that uh, he does very well in Belgium and is considered now one of the, the finest players in the Belgium league. The low side of that story right now is the fact that in the German Bundesliga, we don't get to see a lot of Africans um, playing in the top flight. Back in the days, we see a, lot of, a host lot of African players playing in that um, top flight division. Now, um, Salomon Kalou, Pierre-Marc Aubameyang, maybe Nabi Keita, and um, Ben Taleb has come on loan, Baba Rahman has come back on loan. Why is it a struggle now to see some African players playing in German top flight? I wouldn't put it um, that there is no more uh, talents in Africa. It's simply through to the circumstances that uh, in Germany, what have changed the last 10 years? I mean, 
in the year 2000 and 2004, the German Bundesliga and especially the DFB, German Football Association, they uh, wanted to change things after uh, the international tournament, especially in the year 2000 and also 2004, didn't really go that well. They said we need to change things uh, in the youth development. Also our youth national teams didn't perform that top class anymore at the, at the Under-17 World Cup, Under-20 World Cup. And they introduced um, uh, this new system of, it's called uh, Stützpunkt. Uh, it's basically some kind of academies where the top players getting more and more detailed, educated without leaving their clubs. So basically they having like two times a week some special training at uh, different uh, points in Germany. Uh, so basically all that system was completely restructured and as we all know in football nothing happens overnight so it took like eight to ten years till you saw the first results and that is now the reason why uh, in Germany the number of young players which going through the under 17 and the 19 league directly make it into the Bundesliga it's an unbelievable high number uh, if uh, you look in for example at my club Hoffenheim we have now in the first team we have players like uh, Niklas Süle Jeremy Tolian, uh, many, many players who actually starting players or players who playing lots of getting lots of playing time in the Bundesliga, they're all coming through our under-19 team. Our coach, which is now very successful, Julian Nagelsmann, the youngest coach in Bundesliga history, he also coached before the under-19s. So it just shows that the youth development, we're trying very, very hard and with a very, very good structure to develop our own players. And unfortunately, that means that we don't have to take lots of young players anymore from Africa or from Brazil. You could put the same example onto Brazil. There used to be many, many young Brazilian players or Brazilian players in the German Bundesliga. At the moment, there's not so many anymore. Like I said, nothing to do with the level of, of South America or Africa. It purely has to do that we, I will give you my example now in Hoffenheim, we're trying to develop our own players, to bring our players through the youth team. And uh, it worked so far. So now, young African players would have to double their efforts, hopefully, probably go through a route to get to Europe and then dream of playing in the Bundesliga. You know, it also has to do uh, with, with the, uh, the rules and regulations in Germany that uh, uh, some people call it unfortunate. Um, certain passport players cannot play in the under-23s and cannot play as well in the under-19s. And that makes it very difficult because if you bring a young African player, uh, he cannot uh, basically play matches, he only can train. And that is something where uh, it's also not good for the player. And uh, through the regulation in the European football, it's not so easy at the moment for, for players with other passports. That's another, another part. But um, I'm not worried about the future of African football. Uh, as you know, going to the, to the Francophone countries like France or Belgium, you still find top-class young players. The only route maybe which is changing now that uh, the African players they first will probably play in another country, like going to Norway, going to Austria, going to Belgium before they hit the Bundesliga again. But uh, I'm not worried that there will be no more Africans in the Bundesliga. There will always be some Africans there. And I think it's very exciting to see some of the, the, the really uh, talented African-style players uh, playing in Central Europe. And I think uh, that will also be in the future like that. That's Lutz Fannerstiel, the Director of International Relations and Scouting at German club Hoffenheim, speaking to Oluwashina Okeleji there, that interview from our archives. So it's harder for young African players to make it in the German Bundesliga because of the youth policy that came in 10 or so years ago in Germany, where clubs are focusing on developing German players and also certain restrictions on players who are not European. 
Fascinating insights there. Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. And you can download our app and listen to the show anytime. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Once you've downloaded, you can listen to the show anytime on the app and access past programs too in our archive. You can also listen to the show on our website, planetsportfootballafrica.com, and our Twitter handle is at planetsportfa. Well, next on the show, we turn to social media. And on last week's programme, we had an interview with Zimbabwe national team striker Simba Nevi. He's had an up-and-down career, but he says that his faith as a follower of Jesus has helped him through the tough times as well as the good. He's now holding football tournaments with his church to share his faith with young people. So last week we asked, do you think that it's acceptable for players to use their status to promote their faith in Jesus? Well, this topic has really caught your attention and once again we've had a big response. Thanks so much for that. To Facebook first and Daniel Buckman in Ghana says, yes, without faith you can't please God. He's the reason for our being and we have no shame whatsoever to hide him from others. I support this player, says Daniel. Meanwhile, Moses Al-Hakim from the Gambia says, I think people should have faith in God because only the Almighty God has the power to do anything. I'm a Muslim and I believe in Jesus Christ, but I only lay my faith in Almighty God because he is the creator. I respect all his prophets, but not to go beyond to worship or to put my trust in them that they will make things easy at the time of difficulty, as only the Almighty God has the power to do so, says Moses. On what's up, Olatunde Adeleke in the Gambia says, Yes, why not? As a Christian, our talents and gifts should not only enrich ourselves, because those talents and gifts are given by God. So we should use those talents and gifts to contribute our portion into the kingdom of God. Eb Silla, also in the Gambia, doesn't agree. No, it's not acceptable for players to use their faith in Jesus, says Eb. Nothing is bigger than Almighty God. As a player, you should just work hard and ask God to help you to succeed with your footballing career. If he is sharing his faith with young people by holding football tournaments with his church, what does that mean? Football is neither Muslim or Christian, says Eb. To Sierra Leone now, and Mohamed Chamak Kabgo says, According to Law 4, Section 5 of the International Football Association Board's Laws of the Game, no players or coaches are allowed to wear any clothing with any political, religious or personal statements. However, there are many ways we use to strengthen our faith. And besides, every one of us belongs to a faith, but each and every one of us has many different ways to glorify his or her faith, says Mohammed. Donald in Cameroon thinks it's down to the individual. Life is a matter of choice, says Donald. If a player thinks that football is a tool to promote his faith, then let him go ahead. And Jata Samba in the Gambia agrees. Well, it's not bad because everyone has his own belief, says Jata. I think if what he did has helped him a lot, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Fabrice in Cameroon also agrees, saying, I think promoting the faith of others through football is nothing bad. Christianity is shared or promoted in many different ways. Football players are models in the eyes of many young kids, and nowadays many youths do not know much about God. So I love what he's doing, says Fabrice. We cross to Cote d'Ivoire now, and Clement is very positive. 
Absolutely, it's a good thing that players use their status to promote their faith in Jesus, says Clement. Moreover, these players can help in forming clubs to foster good moral training, which potentially can bring dedication and commitment. Lee Cisse in The Gambia says it's definitely okay for them to promote their faith in Jesus. I don't see anything wrong with it. And Alfred Mdimba in Malawi agrees. Yes, it's acceptable because God gave us talents for his glory first and secondly for our benefit. Barnabas Ande is in Nigeria. In my opinion, says Barnabas, it's absolutely okay for players to use their status to promote their religious faith in Jesus. No disrespect to those of other faiths, uh, but I'm a Christian, and any player who's proud to identify with Jesus automatically has my support. I'm proud of that guy from Zimbabwe, says Barnabas. James in Uganda says, yes, it's acceptable for a player to promote his faith in Jesus because you should put God first and without faith you won't play well. And finally, Mohamed Krubali in The Gambia says religion, politics and sport are all different to try and bring people together. It's not good to show your faith as a Christian or as a follower of Isa, I think. Only sport can bring us together, says Mohamed. Well, thanks very much for all of those views, some diverse opinions there. Uh, Solomon, what would you want to add on this? Yes, Steve, definitely diverse opinions there across the continent of Africa. It's great to hear and and see how different people feel, you know, uh, people from different religion and also how much uh, we we agree on a whole lot, lot of uh, things, you know. And, and I feel definitely, you know, we have to look at the uniqueness and some of the attributes that Jesus has that we could actually share in our community and help us out, you know. It's important for us to put that all together and look at Christ and because if I have something that would benefit our society uh, and I have something that would benefit uh, you know our nation and as a football player I need to share that I cannot keep any good thing to myself and just for myself and my family and I feel that's why a lot of these players go out there and showcase and share their beliefs because it's for the benefit of everybody because we are looking for the same value we believe the same values would help us as a society to keep progressing and as a people to keep living together. Well, thanks, Solomon, and thanks again to all who contributed to to that discussion. This week on Facebook and on WhatsApp, we're asking, is it the end of the road for Arsene Wenger? Arsenal were outclassed by Manchester City last weekend in the EFL Cup final, losing 3-0. They're out of the FA Cup and a distant fifth in the Premier League. Manager Arsene Wenger signed a two-year contract in May of last year, so he has another year to go on that contract. But can Gunners fans still have faith in him? Or is it time to step down? Give us your views on this on Facebook. Planet Sport Football Africa is our page. Or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. More on that issue and on the English Premier League now, because we're joined by our European football expert Stuart Weir in the UK. And to Stuart, a Man City dominated Arsenal, didn't they, to take the EFL Cup and to win their first trophy under Pep Guardiola. And very concerning for Arsene Wenger and his team. Yes, while Manchester City will certainly be pleased to win a trophy, in all honesty, their sights are more firmly set on winning the Premier League title and even the Champions League. But I felt the game was a disaster for Arsenal, 
because not only was it their best chance of winning a trophy this year, in the end they were just outclassed by Manchester City. And interestingly, all that Arsene Wenger really said at the end of the game was that Arsenal had missed a good chance at nil-nil and that they had defended badly. Well, I think anybody who's watched Arsenal at all this season knows that they defend badly every week. And it's been a major weakness in the team that they do concede goals, and Manchester City exposed that rather cruelly. Yes, certainly. And Mohamed Salah continues with his phenomenal scoring record for Liverpool, while Manchester United had a great result against Chelsea. And it really was an excellent performance by Manchester United, who have not beaten Chelsea much over the last few years, and they actually went 1-0 behind and came back to win 2-1. And in the build-up to the game, there's a lot of criticism of Romelu Lukaku that he never scores in the big games. Well, against Chelsea, he scored. He brought a brilliant save from Courtois to stop him getting a second goal. And he crossed for Jesse Lingard to score the winning goal. And generally, Lukaku was very busy, led the line well and caused problems all the time. So perhaps a turning point for him. Now, that defeat, along with... Tottenham and Liverpool winning means that Chelsea drop out of the top four. And if the season were to end today, Chelsea would not be in the Champions League. And you know, this is the team that were the dominant champions last year. And you know how they've fallen. And talking of Liverpool, they won 4 1 against West Ham. And Mo Salah and Sadio Mane both scored. You know, I think, Steve, in future, perhaps we should only make it a talking point of Mo Salah doesn't score since it seems he is such a goal-scoring machine that you know we're just repeating ourselves every week by saying that Mo Salah scored but what a phenomenal buy he's been you know all the things that people including me had reservations but how he didn't really fit in at Chelsea in his first spell in England have been completely proved wrong and he's playing of course with so much confidence because of the goals he's getting and he's playing in a Liverpool team which has such an emphasis on attack that it probably shoots him down to the ground. Now at the bottom of the table West Brom lost 2-1 to Huddersfield with Steve Munier of Benning scoring one of their goals. But West Brom are in dire straits. You know, the funny thing is that if we go back to the second week of the Premier League season, West Brom had played two and won two, and you might say they were top of the table. But who would have guessed at that stage that having won two out of two, they would only win one of their next 26 games? And they're now six points adrift of Stoke, and I think in real trouble. Swansea lost 4-1 to Brighton, and I think that could prove to be a very significant result. I mean, one defeat in itself doesn't get you relegated, but to lose to Brighton, fellow strugglers in the relegation battle, and by a margin of 4-1, I think that could really damage the confidence that the new manager, Carbajal, has been instilling into them. So I think it's a long, hard fight for Swansea. But above West Brom, there are still seven clubs separated by six points, and the odds are that at least two of those seven clubs will be relegated. So there's an awful lot still to fight for. And leaving the Premier League for a moment, in the Championship, Reading drew 3-3 with Derby County, with Modu Barrow scoring. Now, we take an interest in uh, Modu Barrow, the Gambian player who was at Swansea, Leeds, and now at Reading. So good to see him in the goals. Steve, 
I have one interesting topic to mention. Pep Guardiola has got himself in a bit of trouble with the FA because he has taken to wearing a yellow ribbon in support of Catalan separatists who are in prison for trying to create an independent Catalan state separate from Spain. And the FA says, we have a policy of not allowing any political slogans to be worn. Guardiola says, I'm not backing down. You can find me, you can ban me, but I will not take my ribbon off. And again, some people feel that there's a bit of hypocrisy among the FA, who themselves insisted on having a poppy to remember the war dead on their shirts and uh, paid a fine to UEFA or FIFA for that. So um, interesting to see this because it looks as if it will run and run and that Pep Guardiola, a man of principle, will not back down. Yes, it's a hot issue, that, with Guardiola's political statement. And talking of Swansea, who you mentioned there, they reached the FA Cup quarterfinals for the first time since 1964 after their 2-0 midweek win over Sheffield Wednesday in a replay with Ghana's Jordan Ayew on the score sheet. And the big game in the English Premier League this weekend is on Sunday, Manchester City taking on Chelsea. And as Stuart, we have four of the second legs of the UEFA Champions League round of 16 ties this coming week. What are your thoughts on how the ties are shaping up? Well, Steve, with all the first legs of the last 16 completed, I think the surprising thing is that probably three ties are already over. You know, Liverpool went to Porto and won 5-0 in Portugal. Manchester City went to Basel in Switzerland and won 4-0. And Bayern Munich beat Besiktas of Turkey 4-0. So it's difficult to see anything but wins for Manchester City, Bayern Munich and Liverpool. And of course, it goes without saying that Mo Salah was instrumental in the Liverpool win in Porto. But now in contrast to Liverpool and Manchester City, Jose Mourinho set up Manchester United very defensively in their game away to Seville. And he seemed very content with a nil-nil draw. In contrast to Manchester City and Liverpool going out and attacking and scoring goals, Josie set out just to defend, parking the proverbial bus. Tottenham, away to Juventus, were in danger of being blown away, two goals down in the first 15 minutes. But they came back magnificently to draw 2-2, and of course have got two valuable away goals. Chelsea drew 1-1 with Barcelona, but that really doesn't tell you the whole story because Barcelona didn't look like the Barcelona of old at all. And the Brazilian Willian, who scored Chelsea's goal in the second half, had hit both posts in the first half. And then Chelsea gave away a terrible goal to Barcelona when Christensen decided it would be a good idea to hit a pass across his own penalty area, which was intercepted. So while Chelsea go to Barcelona 1-1, they could easily have been going 3-0 up. So I think that game may have a little bit of uh, action still to see. Now, in in the other two games, Real Madrid came from a goal down to beat Paris Saint-Germain 3-1. But, of course, a 2-0 for Paris will see them through on their away goals. And uh, Ukraine's Shakhtar Donetsk go to Roma with a 2-1 lead. So that's another game in the balance. Looking at this from a Premier League point of view, you know, we have five 
clubs in the last 16. And I think it's a realistic chance of there being three or four English clubs reaching the last eight. And what a magnificent performance that would be. Can an English club win the Champions League? Well, that's a big question. But Manchester City have been so dominant in all the games they've played, it's very hard to bet against them. And it seems that Jurgen Klopp has found a way to make Liverpool play where they're perhaps more effective in Europe than they are in the domestic football. And, of course, Tottenham have gone to Juventus, a pretty hard place, and uh, held their own. And uh, Jose Mourinho, so much experience in the Champions League. So I would not be surprised to see four teams in the quarterfinals and with favourable draws, perhaps two or three in the semifinals and perhaps one or two in the final. Well, certainly a great chance for English teams to go far in the Champions League this season. Round of 16 second leg games on Tuesday. Liverpool play Porto and Paris Saint-Germain up against Real Madrid in the tie of the round. Uh, then on Wednesday, Manchester City play Basel and it's Tottenham against Juventus. Uh, what uh, a first leg that was in that 2-2 draw between uh, Tottenham and Juventus. Well, that's it for the show for this week. But on Facebook and on WhatsApp, we're asking for your thoughts. Is it the end of the road for Arsene Wenger as results have been so poor in the last few weeks for the Gunners? Is it time for him to step down? Or maybe as a Gunners fan, do you still have faith in Arsene Wenger? You can go to our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. From me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Solomon Ashams in South Africa, and from Stuart Weir in the UK. Thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.